Hi, I am a semi-famous actress. Please be the answer for the grudges that are being locked up. Grudges that need your help. Just call the number on the screen or just let go of your grudges. Uncage the bitterness that you've pent up inside. For just the cost of forgiveness, you can provide a grudge a chance to be free from your own life. Call in the next 30 minutes and we'll send you a photo of a grudge running wild in a meadow. And this beautiful tote bag, free. This is your chance to say, I won't sit by and hold my grudges any longer. Won't you join me in setting our grudges free? So if you're taking notes and you wrote down that number or that website, I encourage you, go to it later and just tell me what you find because I haven't actually visited it yet to know if you're gonna get a, a, you know, an answer on the other side of it. Would you, one more time, would you stand with me as we pray a prayer that Jesus taught us to prayer, and I would invite you to join with me on this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. I mean, technically, you never had to stand up in the first place, but since I invited you to stand, I guess I could invite you to sit back down. Uh, so I've, I've told you before that I love to read, and one of the book series that I loved to read growing up, and I've actually I've pulled a few off of our shelf so that I can look at them again, uh, uh, it was the Hardy Boys. Anybody read the Hardy Boys growing up, or Nancy Drew, one of those two? Sweet. I got Dan to raise his hand both services. I'm just pointing that out. Thank you, Dan. That helps a lot. Um, so I love reading the Hardy Boys. You know, they're a mystery series. They're two brothers who go out and they solve all these crazy mysteries and everything. And so when I saw that Hulu was getting ready to make a series, a TV series, based on the Hardy Boys books, I got really excited about it. I was a little bit nervous because I was also a fan of Archie comics growing up, and Riverdale is nothing like the Archie comics when you were growing up. I was a fan of Nancy Drew growing up, actually watched the Nancy Drew show, but the previews don't really look like they line up all that great with the books. But I was hopeful that Hardy Boys would. So it finally came out, and I watched the first episode, and I will say that based on just the first episode, it actually seems to be staying to the character. Now, they've, they've changed some characters as far as, you know, their looks and all those kinds of things. But ultimately, it seems to be staying somewhat in line through one episode with the books, which I was really excited. But in the very first episode, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, so don't worry. In the very first episode, in one of the very first scenes, Frank and Joe Hardy, the two brothers, are sitting down and Frank is playing a video game. And this might be something that some of you relate to as you hear this story, but Frank is playing this old school video game. I think it takes place back in the 80s, so think like original NES type of a looking game. And Frank has been playing this game for hours, and he finally gets to the level where he's got to decide how he's going to try and get over this like stream of lava that's in front of him. 
And Joe, the younger brother, is sitting there going, use the shoe or use the boots. Use the boots. And Frank's like, I don't want to use the boots. I need to save the boots for later because apparently the boots have some magical power to help you float a little bit or jump longer or something. I didn't recognize the video game, so I can't tell you how it goes. But as they're arguing over this, their mother comes into the scene and she tells Frank that he needs to go do some chore. I can't remember what the chore was because it wasn't important to the story. But he tells Frank, or she tells Frank, I need you to go do this. And Frank's like, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm so close right now. And finally she's like, Frank, do it. And this whole time Joe's been kind of sitting there going, give me the controller. Give me the controller. And so Frank gets up and he goes to do his chore. And as he leaves the room, you see their mom look at Joe and go, and so Joe, and some of you, like, right now, you're like, oh, my parents did that. And, oh, like, you're just, it's crawling down your spine right now. You're so frustrated. But Joe picks up the controller, and he goes and he puts on the boots that Frank didn't want to use, and he goes to jump over the lava, and he goes, and his character dies right as Frank is walking back into the room. So Frank is just... I've been working for three hours to get to that, and you lost it all in 30 seconds. And he's upset with his mom, and he's upset with his little brother. And, and then they appear to be a really lighthearted family, and it's all fine because it's a TV show. But, you know, some of you, you kind of relate to, yeah, I had siblings who were just like that. Or I have siblings who are just like that. You know, they, they come in, I've got the sign on my door that says, do not enter, and they come in all the time, and they take my clothes, and they wear them, and they get stains on them, or they ruin the shoes that they borrow. I know exactly how you feel. Or you're sitting there, and you're like, my parents did the exact type of thing, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Or parents, you're sitting here, and you're like, man, I've got that kid who I tell over and over and over again, clean up your room. I did. And I go up there, and the room's a disaster. We... We can all relate at some level to the feelings that Frank is feeling in this scene. Now later on in the episode, the, uh, the crux of the story begins to come out. And because of what happened, Joe, the younger brother, says something really nasty to Frank. Like just really hurtful. The same kind of thing that happens a lot among siblings. And Frank is going to have to make a decision as to whether or not he's going to hold that one against Joe or whether or not he's going to let it slide. And as we watch the episode and as we continue to see it, we see that they work through together to do the things that they're going to need to do. Now, I'm excited to see where it goes from here, but, but just from that one episode, man, there were so many things like, man, I, I relate to how that's going. Like, I've got the younger brother who's five years younger, and I've got the three older brothers who are four and plus, you know, years older than I am, I get how, how Frank's feeling in this scene and how he's feeling throughout this episode. There are things that happen that are really kind of lighthearted things. Like, you know, they screw up our, our video game that we were working so hard on. And that's something that, generally speaking, we can kind of let go. It wasn't super painful. It was frustrating now, they do it over and over again. Eventually, uh, brothers are just going to punch each other. But, you know, the first time, we can kind of let things slide a little bit, but then there are those truly hurtful things that people do, whether it's siblings or somebody else. And we have to make that decision. Are we going to let this go? In the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed a little bit ago, there's a line in there that, honestly, we like to kind of, I, I say we, 
I'll just be honest. There are times in my life where I like to recite that line and just kind of get past it as fast as I can. It's that one where it's the, Father, forgive us our debts. And now we get to the debts part, and everyone kind of stops when you're in a group. It's like, okay, does this group say debts or sins or trespasses or shortcomings? Like, what's this group going to say? So you're like, forgive us our, okay, we're going with debts. As we forgive our debtors, now I know what we're going to say. But, but we get to that line, and it's like, okay, so I know the words I just said, but I don't really want to stop and think about what those words were that I just said. Because he literally told us to pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive others. Now, if you want to look up forget in the dictionary, you can do that later, but I've already done it for you, so I'm going to tell you what it says. If you look up the word stop feeling angry or resentful, to cancel a debt, to stop with the feelings of anger towards someone, to stop with the feelings of resent towards someone, to stop with the feelings of hurt towards someone, to stop with the, the debts that we like to say, like, man, after what you did to me, you owe me. Like, what, that, that was hurtful, and I'm going to hold on to that one until I get a chance to pay you back on that one, or until I come to collect on something you're going to do for me to make up for what you just did. Now, when he tells us, or when he's telling us to pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, he's telling us to let it go, to not hold on to those things. Or it's kind of like when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to, or sorry, uh, chapter 4, if you want to open up your Bibles or if you want to write this down so that you can look at it later, you might hear it and be like, I definitely don't want to write that down and I definitely don't want to look at it later because I don't want to do that. Unfortunately, that's not really an option that's given to us. But Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in verse 31 in chapter 4, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, here it is, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Get rid of all of the bitterness. Get rid of all of the anger. Get rid of all the harsh words that you want to say about somebody who hurt you. And instead, forgive these people. Cancel the debt. Stop being angry. Stop being resentful. Now, the problem is, a lot of us, we read this and we go, okay, either I don't want to do it, and so I'm going to ignore it, or I want to do it, but I just don't have the strength to do it. Lisa Turkers, in a, a podcast that I was listening to recently, where she was doing an interview with Craig Rochelle. She said this about forgiveness. She said, forgiveness is not about our determination. It is about our cooperation with what God has already done. You know, as you read through in that Ephesians that we just read, what was that last line? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He's not asking you to, to be strong enough to forgive somebody. He's not asking you to be strong enough to let go of the hurt and the pain that's been inflicted on you. He's like, I, he knows, he created us, he knows we're not going to be strong enough for that. But he's saying, 
Do this in cooperation with me as I did it for you, and I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to help you out with this. You know, as we look at it, so often the question that I hear is, well, okay, I get that we're supposed to forgive, and I get that we're supposed to let these things go, and I get that Jesus is going to help us in all these different types of things, but, but you know, this person, this isn't the first time that they've done this. Like, how many times do I actually have to forgive this person? How many times do I have to let this go? I'm human too, and they're mistreating me. Like, they don't just get to go off and do whatever they want, and then I just have to sit here and roll over and, you know, be a doormat for them. Do I? Well, in that famous love chapter that we like to use at weddings, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes to the church in Corinth once again. He says, love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Meaning, love, which we are created to do, which we are told is the greatest commandment to love God and to love others, it doesn't keep any record of the past hurts. Now, I understand that as we look at that, we're like, well, that's, that's just, that's insane. Like, how can we actually do this? Because if I really take that approach, I'm gonna get hurt over and over and over again. And the person might just hurt themselves and this is where we remember this is love keeps no record of wrongs see I kind of I think of it in the the realm of the drug addict who goes to the medicine cabinet at your house and he gets into your medicine cabinet and has a great time well the next time that that drug addict comes over after he's been hospitalized for all the the stuff that he took that night the next time that he comes over you don't say Hey, just in case you're wondering, I've restocked the medicine cabinet, so go for it. You know, the next time he comes over, maybe you've got the medicine cabinet locked. It's not because you're holding against the person what they did last time. It's because the loving thing to do is to help protect them from themselves in this situation. It's to help protect you in that moment. But it's not done out of, I'm going to get even with this person. Forgiving, if you're taking notes, forgiving is not necessarily that we just forget all the things that happened. But it is letting go of the things that happened. At one point, Peter's, uh, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, comes to him and he says, How many times am I supposed to forgive? Do I forgive seven times? And Jesus says, No, not seven times, but seventy times seven times which when I was a young man and I was sitting there and I heard the pastor preach this I sat there and I did the math and I thought okay so 490 times wow that's a lot 490 times I've got to forgive somebody for doing stuff but on number 491 all bets are off and with your sibling a good chance that you're going to get to 491 times that you need to forgive them and at that point man the gloves come off and the fists are flying because at that point now, as I've grown older and I've understood a little bit better what it is that Jesus is trying to communicate here, I realize that what he's saying is, hey, stop keeping track. Because you're not going to do a tally mark every single time until you get to that number. Now, some people might, but you're not supposed to keep a tally mark of every single time until you get to 491 and then go for it. You will never, ever get ahead by trying to get even. But if you learn to let go 
And that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, here's what this boils down to. Let it go. Jesus, at one point, that same follower who asked that question, Peter, at one point, Peter told him, I will never, ever betray you. I will go to my death with you, Jesus. And then when Jesus was arrested, after Peter had tried to defend him initially by cutting off somebody's ear, as Jesus was arrested and somebody came up to Peter and Peter saw just how bad things were getting for Jesus, someone comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of his friends? And Peter's like, no, never met the guy. And then again, no, don't know him. And then again, stop asking me this question. I don't know who this guy is. To have your friend betray you in that way and to actually act as if they've never met you because they are so ashamed or they are so embarrassed. Man, I I remember middle school. I remember middle school when these kinds of things happened that friends would, you know, they'd go behind each other's backs. They'd stab each other in the back. And it turns out as you get older, it doesn't necessarily stop. But Jesus, having this friend do this to him, later, after he'd risen from the dead, had a conversation with Peter on a seashore. Peter, the one who had betrayed, who had had said, I never, ever knew this guy. Leave me alone. He goes up to Peter, and he asks him three times, do you love me? And what he's saying underneath that is, Peter, I forgive you. Peter, I'm not holding this against you. Peter, there's still a relationship for you and I to have. Which is really what it comes down to, that when we are holding grudges against people, when we are holding bitterness in our hearts against people, we're making it to where we can't have a true, full relationship with that person. And we were created to be in relationship. We were created to have community with others. And so when we're doing that, when we're holding on to this, we're not living within the full potential of what God created us to be in the first place. If you want to look for a reason to forgive people, that's one of them for you right there. Another reason to forgive people is that it's actually unforgivable not to forgive somebody. You know, as we... as we read the Lord's Prayer, and as we hear the Lord's Prayer, we see those words and we say those words of, Father, um, forgive me as I forgive others. But after he got done telling his followers how to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, he actually jumps back on that part. And he says these words, Jesus does, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But... And this is a big one, church. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. Your Father will not forgive you if you won't forgive others. That's a, that's one of those that as you're reading through and you're like, Really? I mean, come on, like, let, let's talk this one out just a little bit. And, but, okay, but what we really hear is that grace is, grace is free. 
And it's for everybody. It's for all of our sins. And, and so, you know, we all, we get to go and everything's going to be fine no matter what. Because Jesus died for us. But he makes it pretty clear, if you don't let it go, and if you don't forgive, you're not going to be in a relationship. And I created you for a relationship. I created you to love. And it's really hard to love when you're holding a grudge. I won't forgive, or sorry, your father won't forgive you. So what you're telling me is, is that if I don't forgive the other people in my life who have hurt me, then I'm not going to be forgiven. And for some of us, that, that list of others, it's a, that's a pretty big list with some pretty big things on it. You know, that's the, uh, that's the my family member really hurt me emotionally when I was growing up or a teacher, or a pastor, or a family member, or a friend, or a, a, a friend's parent, they really hurt me physically when I was growing up. My boss at work has really done and said some damaging things. Are you really telling me that I'm supposed to forgive that person? Is that really what Jesus is telling us here in this moment. Yes. And he's telling you that because of relationship, but also because he knows that you are actually going to be better off letting it go. You know, Anne Lamott famously once said that holding bitterness is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die, or sorry, not forgiving. It's like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. It doesn't work. Psychologists have actually seen that, that it takes more energy from us to hold on to anger and to hold on to bitterness than it does to just do kind things for people and to just forgive and let it go. We may not think that because it's not what we want to do but just think about when you lay down at night and you're frustrated with somebody you're bitter at somebody what runs through your head more and keeps you awake longer those types of feelings or when you just let it go it's hurting you oftentimes way more than it's hurting the other person when I was at one of the previous churches where we we served I remember a, an annual business meeting, which we have one next week that hopefully goes nothing like this one, but I remember an annual business meeting that we were sitting in, in which the people in the front of the church were screaming at the people at the back of the church, and the people at the back of the church were screaming at the people in the front of the church. This is in the church. And what they were fighting about, what they were hurling insults back and forth about was the worship and the worship leader. You talk about something ripping a church apart, well, it, they were allowing it to rip this church apart. Sitting in the middle of that congregation as it was fighting about all of these things was Sarah and I, the worship leader. As I heard people say some of the most hurtful things I've ever heard said about me in my entire life, and I grew up with four brothers. 
as I heard them tear down my integrity, as I heard them tear down my commitment to, to leading people, as I heard them tear down my, uh, my abilities, as I heard them tear down whether or not I was truly worshiping in the first place, I sat there and I listened to all of it. As I look back, you know, I look back at that time as the darkest moments of my entire life. You know, those were moments where I was sitting there and I would go to work and it was a lot easier to get online and to just search, how do you become a teacher? Because surely it'd be easier to be a teacher because, I mean, nobody complains about teachers, right? <laughs> that one struck a nerve over here somewhere. No, but I did. I got on because I've always thought, you know, if, if I wasn't, well, not always, but once getting into college and out of college, I thought, man, if, if, you know, being a pastor isn't it, like if God someday says this isn't what I have for you anymore, I would love to be an English teacher. And a lot of people are like, really? Like you want to go from one form of punishment to another? Okay, whatever. But I started looking it up. How do you become a teacher without having to go back to four years of school? Because I can't do this anymore. I'm not, my wife will tell you, I'm not an emotional person. But those were the nights where I laid in bed with, because I was to the point that I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I'm not telling you this just so that I can prove a point in a message. But it was the moment where I realized and then decided to allow Jesus to come alongside me and show me to let go of the bitterness and the anger that had welled up during that meeting and during some other conversations that, had, that we had had. That it was when I did that, that the joy for the ministry that God had called me to began to return. If I hadn't let go of that bitterness there, if I hadn't let go of other bitternesses and, and hurts that come up, I wouldn't be standing before you today because I would have found something else to do a long time ago. It was better for me to let go. Some of those people I had a conversation with because I needed to. And I just let them know, man, that, that hurt. And we worked through things. Others never talked to them again about it. And I still had to forgive them. I still had to let it go. By the time we left that church, many of those same people we had formed great relationships with to the point that one of them who at one point had told me that if they still did confidence votes, I would definitely be out the door because of my worship, not because of youth, but I would definitely be out the door if they still did a confidence vote at the end of every year. I think he might have almost cried on the day that I left because we had formed an actual relationship because we had to let things go and not hold on to them. This morning, I would almost guarantee that there are many of us in here who need to stop and take some time and just say, God, who is it that I don't even realize that I'm holding these things against? God, who is it that I'm holding bitterness in my heart towards that I need to let this go? And God, how can I do that? God, I need you to walk alongside me. Like I said, I know that there are some things that people do that are just absolutely, they're scarring things in our lives. And we think, I can do a lot of things, but not, but not that. And God's saying, you're right, you can't. But I can show you how.
and I can take you along on that. As he was on a cross, in the midst of being hung on this, with nails in his hands and his feet, and people hurling insults at him, people spitting on him, he cried out to his father and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In the midst of the pain, he said, Father, forgive them. In that moment, the one being tortured forgave them, and he called on his father. Now, for those of you with children, put yourself in that place that your child is on that cross, and your child is saying, hey, dad, mom, don't hold this against them. I know they're hurting me. For me, that's one of the hardest things. You hurt my kid? Man, you hurt me, I can let it go a lot faster than if you hurt my kid. And he tells us in that moment, not even that is an excuse not to forgive. Not even that is an excuse to hold on to bitterness. And I have shown you just how important this is. Some of you need to forgive others, and some of you need to let go of bitterness towards God. Because maybe he didn't do something that you've asked him to do, or he did do something that you didn't want him to do. And it's so easy for us not to understand why he did it or how he did it. And we sit there and we struggle with that and we allow bitterness to rise up inside of us towards him. And some of us need to be able to let that go. And some of us need to learn how to forgive ourselves. I know I've made more mistakes than I would like to admit. And some of them... Some of them are easy to let go. Like, well, I was just a dumb kid. And other things, they keep coming back up. And I keep thinking, man, I wish I hadn't done that. And I beat myself up for it all over again. And Jesus is saying, I've already forgiven you. Forgive yourself. I'm gonna invite you this morning, don't leave here today holding on to these things. And I, I've told several people that this is one of those messages that it's really not hard to give because I, I don't think that I've said anything, which is unusual for me. I don't think I've said anything this morning that you might actually be mad at me for later. Or at least that there's a, a reason for you to be mad at me for later. Now, maybe you might be sitting there thinking, he doesn't understand my situation. That may be. But as far as you not liking me for this, I'm, I'm not, not too concerned about that. But what's hard about talking about this is that I know from my own experience as myself, I sit there and I hear it and I go, I get it, but I just can't do it. Don't leave here today sitting there going, I just can't do it, or I just won't do it, or I'll do it later. Don't wait until later. This morning, before you leave, whether it's during this song and you come up to an altar, you sit in your chair or you go, we have a, a prayer chapel in the back right outside the doors. If, if you go to one of those places or maybe you turn to somebody near you and you say, hey, I've, I've, gotta, I've gotta let this go and you know, don't sit there and gossip about all the details as to what's been done, but however you need to do this, don't hey, thinking I'll wait until later. Don't leave here today thinking I just can't do this. You can't by your own willpower. 
but you can in cooperation with one who forgave you while you were hurting him. There's a lot riding on it. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive us as we forgive others. If you forgive, you're forgiven. If you don't, you're not. I'd say that's a lot riding on it. Don't leave here today without taking care of it.